If there's a uh, like dog noises in the back, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. We actually welcome dog noises. We, okay, we, they so, like, we celebrate I mean, them here. They're rearing up right now to, to start uh, a little quarrel. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're into it. Uh, all right, cool. Well, welcome to the Please Hustle Responsibly podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Cole, and I'm here with Christina Beltry today. Our fearless friend, Christina Magro, has got some work responsibilities to take care of, so she won't be joining us. Uh, and today, our guest is Ryan Pfeiffer. Uh, but before we get into talking to Ryan about his journey in hospitality, I'm just going to do a quick check-in with Christina Beltry and see how she's doing this week. How are you, Christina? I'm great. I just got back to Chicago from Wisconsin, went for a little ice fishing. Um, yeah, feeling good. How are you doing, Matt? I'm, I'm great. Uh, you know, really enjoying this, this turnaround of weather and having like a, I guess, like a moderately semi-warm day uh, and just recently started therapy. So I'm really enjoying at those sessions and having somebody to talk to about things, which has been really nice. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yeah. P positivity is the only way. <laughs> 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 yeah, I love that. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, you know, Ryan has been in the Chicago hospitality scene for a while. Uh, I have been a big fan of his for a long time because he kind of embodies the things that I, I love and respect in hospitality and what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, and recently started the venture Big Kids, uh, which is a super fun and exciting sandwich shop in Logan Square. Uh, Ryan, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got started in hospitality? Sure. Um, I'm a cancer. Um, are you, are I, you just like, are you a full cancer or are you a cusp? I actually don't know <laughs> what that means. <laughs> I'm not really sure either. I was, I was born on uh, July 10th. I'm a very emotional person. Um, I love dogs. I love, um, I love life. I love people. Um, and you know, I, I, I love, uh, the pursuit of happiness and, uh, I love also seeing other people pursue happiness. So yeah, we, great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot more than, uh, the things that people think are important out there. Um, so I, long story short, I grew up in the South suburbs of Chicago in a, a town called Tinley Park. Um, I had a, a generally regular suburban childhood. Um, I graduated high school and I didn't really have a focal point for what I wanted to do. And so I, um, had already been working uh, since I was when I was able to get a worker's permit as a dishwasher in a pizza place. And after working there for a while, that I kind of graduated in my uh, high school years to being able to make the pizzas. And after I graduated high school and I didn't really have any focus, I kind of decided I'll try to go to a culinary school maybe. So I did some research and the cheapest culinary school that I could find was at uh, Joliet Junior College. And I did that and I worked through it so I could pay my way through uh, college. And 
I didn't necessarily have a affinity for cooking. I don't think. I think that it was just a place that I felt comfortable, um, like in the kitchen that I the only one kitchen that I had ever been in, and I don't think that I felt like a true passion for cooking until I met one of my instructors. Uh, his name was Timothy Bucci. He was a um, member of the United States Culinary Olympics team. And um, he ha- he ran in the off season of the Culinary Olympics, a competition team for the school. So he kind of like interviewed me and he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, seems like you, you kind of like know how to cook already, but you don't really have a focus. I mean, I, I was in his defense, I was taking a lot of uh, hallucinogenic drugs um, often, um, which was great. Yeah. Um, but it was able to, he, he kind of like lassoed me in and then made me become a part of the culinary team for the school, the junior culinary team. And that took up a lot of my time. Whereas normally I would leave uh, school and go and, you know, live in, you know, squalor and just debauchery. <laughs> um, but it really taught me how to focus on organization and just like, it was, it was an awesome distraction. It's like, you know, having like, a, as like a border collie that just needed to have like some sheep. Yeah. Um, and after a while, after that finished and we won a bunch of medals and stuff like that, I, I apprenticed with him with the culinary Olympics team and we got to go all over and do a bunch of stuff and, and compete. And it was great. And I had a really good grasp on being organized and uh, really meticulous kind of cooking, but I didn't really feel like I knew anything about food. I just knew how to like manipulate it to the point that you could make a culinary judge think that it was perfection. Um, so I, the catalyst uh, was my, my, one of my best friends passed away from a drug overdose after I graduated and after I did this apprenticeship. And so I kind of just wanted to get away from all the, the things that I was familiar with and learn more about myself. So I packed up my car and I moved, I drove to California and, um, and I, you know, looked for a job when I was out there and I ended up getting a job at this trattoria um, and worked under a chef named uh, Leonardo Curti for a little while and lived in my car and uh, found like a lot of cool loopholes about living, you know, like growing up in the suburbs, I didn't really have a lot of struggles. So I went out there and didn't have a place to live, didn't have a job, had to kind of just figure everything out, which is, which is great for me. And um, I found out that you can live in your car and get a $40 a month membership to the YMCA. So you can still shower every day and go to work. And then, I mean, it was in the Santa Ynez Valley. So it was like really nice weather all the time. And after I got sick of living in my car, I found this like kind of like a, like five person hippie commune under a bridge um, on uh, Alamo Pintado road. And so I lived there for a couple months and uh, it wasn't until one of the dishwashers at a new job that I was working at called Maddie's Tavern. Um, I asked him for a ride home because I had left my, I leave my car parked above the bridge and he was like just devastated that I was living under a bridge. (laughs) So he took me home. His name was Jorge Bernal and he took me home and uh, he let me live with him for over a year no charge and it was like a really eye-opening experience for me to 
have a family that is a Hispanic family take me in as you know like uh, like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that m my people would do that for anybody else because a very very uh it, it was just it was it was a beautiful thing like he's like he didn't ask anything about me I'm a fucking white man and he's like hey well, of course we'll help you you need help and I was like dude I, I, I can't believe that like I can't say the same for my own people and so that was just that was great and I, I after that I saved up enough money to kind of uh get my own places and I lived in a couple different um, vineyards and in their guest houses and you kind of trade a small amount of rent for work on the farms um, so I lived in a couple different small vineyards out there you know three four months at a time I lived on a mini horse farm for a couple months and just kind of like worked in small bistros and like random shit and just figured out I mean California produce it's different than cooking out here yeah. And once I figured out that I, once I found a relationship kind of with myself and the food that I was cooking, as opposed to just how to manipulate it, I moved back to Chicago and started to kind of climb, I guess, like the Michelin ladder. I was my, my, for some reason, I was very interested in the Michelin rated restaurants. So I staged in a bunch of them and I did extended stages. And then I ended up at uh, Blackbird and I worked there for 10 years. And that was uh, that was the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had some really incredible meals and experiences at Blackberry when you were when you were there running it. Very very special place. Thank very you. Special time. It was, it was a good. It was I a good place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's also how I know Christina. And I would come um, and stage just to hang out <laughs> and learn. I also wanted to learn about fine dining, but I didn't feel like I fit. <laughs> I always thought that my hair was too messy to be fine dining. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was the best part about Blackbird is that people had an assumption for like what Blackbird was supposed to be, but that was never really what it was at its core. You know, like when Paul started that restaurant, it was a, it was a fast paced, you know, like I don't, I hate to say farm to table, but it was like, he was kind of the pioneer of that in Chicago. One, one of them at least. And it just, it evolved into when like, you know, Mike Sheeran and David Posey took over into a different kind of food, which is not a bad thing, but I always kind of wanted to bring it back to something that was a little different and focused a little more on the staff. Um, and, you know, I, I'm definitely not without my faults. So. I mean, I, I, that's when I first uh, learned about you from our friend Taylor uh, and started following you on Instagram, there was a lot of that focus on the staff there, which I thought was like incredibly amazing. Uh, you know, I, I came from Florida. There's not a lot of, especially living in Tallahassee, there's no Michelin uh, presence there. And, you know, I expected this kind of like grand ego from Michelin star chefs. And when I started following you on social media and like seeing your, your focus on the growth and support of the staff, I thought that was like absolutely amazing and really changed how I wanted to be as a leader and like approach like my, my growth uh in in hospitality uh so i mean you were you were doing that you you were doing the 
after hours you're doing like the techniques classes and mm -hmm. you were doing the like you I, I remember like, I don't know the exact details but you were having your staff like take recipes from old cookbooks and like do modern twists on them mm -hmm. uh I just how did you how did you arrive at that that kind of mentality where you wanted to focus on the growth and support of the team over like your own your own like pedestal I guess like putting them all in front of yourself I I um I think it's like when I had started at Blackbird and I I'm, I'm not I don't want to I'm not saying anything negative about it but it was kind of a different environment when I started there it was uh the a very uh cliche Michelin um environment of just kind of like kind of cutthroat uh you know work your way up to the top and if whoever you stand on in the meantime is kind of just collateral damage um I always like to think of people as people before they're uh, an employee, mm -hmm. which I think is um, important, not only for the industry, but for just general life experience. Um, you're not defined by what you do for a living. We're, we are forced to do what we do for a living because we have to have financial stability. But if you're able to just be yourself, life would be a lot different. So don't think about them as a, you know, a, a financial asset to your business. Think about them as individuals. You can't put a managerial blanket over your entire staff. You have to look at them as individual people and they all have individual needs. And a lot of them, especially coming into like a, a restaurant that they would, could be intimidated by, you know, before they come in. I mean, I hope that people weren't super intimidated when they came into Blackbird when I was responsible there, but I know that that's like kind of unconscious, but you just try to make them feel comfortable. It's like, Hey, you know, you're coming here to work for free. So thank you for that first off. So we don't, I don't, I never looked at anybody's resume. I don't, I don't care where you worked before. It's like, do you want to work here? If you want to work here, that's way more important. Like, I don't care if you spent seven years in France and then you, work at this place for a year and this place for a year and this place for a year. And you got this incredible built up resume slash ego. It's like, what do you want to work here? Do you have like the most important tool you can have into a kitchen? As far as I'm concerned is an open mind. So it just goes with that. And then you find out what makes people excited. So like a lot of the competitions and stuff like that were, I would ask everybody like, Hey, you guys, are you guys interested in doing, you know, old Garmin J techniques? Because in my competition background, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was great at it, but I had knowledge about it and teaching them the stuff that I know also helped me learn stuff about stuff about myself, you know, how I can deal with people and how they can probably do it better than I can. And most of the time they could, it's like, I don't think that I've ever actually been like a good chef. I think that I've just been open to the experience. Um, so that, that's where it came from. And then like, also, you know, we're already hanging out in the industry after work. Every, like, you know, you're already like, you, maybe you stay at work, maybe you go out to a bar, maybe you do something. I just try to create like a safe environment for people to come that you can, if you wanted to, you can have a couple of beers. If you don't want to, you don't have to, but give people the experience to have hands-on knowledge about things that they won't necessarily get from the places that they're working. So we'd have a lot of people from like very uh, prestigious restaurants that would just come and hang out in the basement 
because I would buy a pig or we, we do like a, a demo on Ikejime or we would like get some gooey ducks, like things that people don't normally get to see. And instead of going on YouTube and looking it up, like, why not? Why can't we all just hang out and become friends? And then we all learn together and then everybody wins. Well, and I, like, we all know how important education is in every aspect of life, but I think especially in food and beverage because there's always something to learn. And what you were doing breaks up like the monotony of just working and then leaving work and festering in whatever frustrations happen that day mm-hmm. and makes you like excited for after work or even just the next day and learning something new and being able to talk about that instead of talking about table 12 whatever mm-hmm. xyz you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's another really important thing is that we started doing uh post shift meetings where we would at the end of the day after we cleaned up everybody sits down and we would go in a line and talk about how we felt about the day what we thought could we have done better what we thought somebody did really good like it's good for people to hear things like from their teammates because like you said like you, you go home and you just fester about it. Like if something bad happened during the day, like you got to figure that out that night. Otherwise you're going to come into work the next day and you're not going to be happy. And that's just a snowball. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, and like communication is such an important aspect for like team building and community, which, you know, the like community is such an important part of what we do. Uh, and I like, I like that you maintain the focus on that because I worked at places where you, you try to start something like that or like, you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to do pre-shift or post-shift. And then a week later it kind of falls through the mm-hmm. cracks because it's just one of those things. that's like in the, in the hustle and bustle of how high paced and how quick everything moves in restaurants. It's just kind of like, it's the things that are actually important to the people sometimes get pushed to the side. Yeah. I think that I was also, I, I, I can't take credit for all the stuff that happened at that restaurant. It was the people that like everybody that worked there had a, a similar mindset on what our common goal was. And that was to be happy and make other people happy with the food that we were doing. So like give people a chance to put food on the menu, give to give people a chance to, a, to better themselves so that eventually they can do the same thing. And then they hopefully will have their own post shift in their own restaurant or they do the exact same thing. And that's how you make the change is you hope that people pay it forward. I, I love that. Uh, is that, you know, you, is that the mentality that you're bringing at, at big kids too? I mean, how, how did you get started on, on that venture? Uh, big kids is like, I've, I, the last couple of years that I was at Blackbird, I, I kind of knew that I didn't want to be in the fine dining scene anymore. I mean, I love making food like that. I really love it. Um, I love everything about it. I love the learning aspect. George, take it easy, dude. <laughs> um, but I don't like the politics that come along with the whole industry and just the the rat race for accolades and just everything about it was starting to kind of weigh on me. And I felt like it was so ir- like irrelevant, like, we're making food to make other people happy, but this like quest to become the best chef ever to get the most recognition ever and get all these accolades seems so self-gratifying. Um, 
not interested in that. Um, we should be trying to make ourselves happy and other people happy, not try to get people that have never met us to stroke our ego. Uh, and that's personal, you know, I, I, I don't knock people for trying to climb that, that ladder. If, if, if that's what makes you happy, then fuck yeah, do that. But it wasn't making me happy anymore. So I had started in the last year that I was there. Stop it. Come here. I had started to invite a lot of friends that weren't in fine dining um, to the restaurant to do pop-ups and stuff like that. So like, you know, like a couple different, um, uh, uh, like uh, dim sum places and, you know, just, just random friends that I was fortunate enough to make in my, in my quest through the culinary landscape. And one of them happened to be uh, Mason Hereford from Turkey and the Wolf. And after he came and did a pop-up there, it was like, it had really, it was received really well. Like, you know, for like a, a this, this, um, you know, Michelin rated kitchen, we're just like fucking, we started drinking at like eight o'clock in the morning and like people were just coming in and we're just like throwing sandwiches at him and we're all having a good time. We're all screaming and it was like loud music. It was just like so different from what I was used to in that restaurant. I was like, this is, I could get, I could be down with this. I feel really happy right now. And we went out and we partied all night and, and yada, yada. And the next morning I just woke up to a bunch of texts from him. Like, Hey, last night was like the best night I've ever had. When are we going to open a restaurant together? And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? I don't even know what to say to that. Of course I would open a restaurant. I've been thinking about this for a long time anyways. And after we went back to new Orleans, like, I didn't know if it was just like, you know, the hangover talking or like just making conversation. Like he just started blowing me up and like we started talking every week about what we would do. And it just got more and more real to the point that like in the beginning of 2020, I, I sat down with Paul in January and I was like, Hey, I'm probably not going to stay here. I have an, a pseudo opportunity to open up something that I'd be happy about if the, if the opportunity presents itself. And you know, Paul was super open. He's like, yeah, I want to just be happy. If, if it makes you happy, do that. And then the pandemic hit and Blackbird closed. And so that just kind of put all the wheels in motion. And um, I'm fortunate enough to know uh, Wade and Jeff uh, over at Young American. And they offered for me to use the space for like a pop-up. And that just turned into, you know, signing signing some contracts and becoming an owner. And now we get to have a sandwich shop, <laughs> which is great. It's as easy as that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's not only a sandwich shop, but like you guys are super involved in the community, uh, constantly doing things to support local, local producers and, you know, like give back to the community, which is amazing. Uh, and also it just looks like, you're having a lot of fun, uh, which makes me really happy to see. You know, I just see people that are doing something that they really enjoy and also like enjoying themselves while doing it. Yeah, I, I think that this is like the first time that I've had the opportunity to completely be myself, like no holds barred. And like, I mean, we've, we've definitely hit some really serious speed bumps along the way. You know, we opened up with a, with a really courageous business model um, and hired a bunch of people and you know we we do uh service charge of 18 percent that people get met that 
you know, clients get mad about, but all of that, all of that money goes directly back into the pockets of, of the people that are working there. Um, we have a profit share when the restaurant starts making money that goes directly into the pockets of the people that work there. So it's like, you should be rewarded for the hard work that you do. So if we're really, really busy, they get more money. So it's not like we're really, really busy. You get the same amount of money and then the owners are taking all of the, all of the things that come along with being a successful restaurant. No, I think that everybody should share in that. And unfortunately it's a, it's a tough time for restaurants right now. And in sandwiches, there's, there's not like great margins on it and we're only doing takeout, but so like we've throughout the entire process, I was, I, I communicated every single week with the staff, like, Hey guys, this is how much money we made. This is how much money we spent on labor. Just, you know, keep your, just let, let's keep real, a realistic idea of what's going on. And at the end of the year, we had to, you know, let go a lot of the staff, obviously not permanently because I still keep in contact with the majority of them. Like when we can bring people back on, they're the first people that get the chance if they want to come back. I, I mean, they're, it's just, we had such a great staff and we had such a great time and it was heartbreaking to have to talk to them about that. But I talked to them all in person individually and they were like, that you can't be blamed for the financial uh, problems of the restaurant right now. Like we're just happy that you're being honest. So uh, I think that transparency is also a huge part of the success of a restaurant, but it doesn't make it any less of a bummer. So right now we're just working with uh, four of us. Uh, my fiance comes in and she helps uh, when we, when we need some help and, uh, we only have, we're only open three days a week right now, but that's nobody's problem except for mine. So I don't want it to sound like it's bad. You know, it, it is what it is. I still get to have a business We're we're pushing forward. We're, we're, we're trying to stay involved in the community so that people know that there is hope for no matter what's going on. And when we can be normal again, it's going to be fucking sick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, even even now you guys are it, it's like smiles in love, and you know you guys are putting forward this this beautiful face, and it's like it's every time I see you guys on on social media, it's just so nice to see like pictures of you and Maddie and just like smiling and making food that you guys are really happy making and having a good time doing it. It's it makes, and I know for me like it makes me feel good about like the food that I'm I'm doing and it's like cool we can do this and we can have a good time and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to just be you know this grind it can be mm -hmm. it can be so much more than that yeah Love it. How, how, how do you focus on positivity in your in your day-to-day -day? uh I there's a lot of things like make sure that you're okay first and foremost and if you're not don't be afraid to not be okay. Like if, if you're not okay, that's not a problem. Just be aware of it and find ways to try to make it better for yourself if you can. And if you can't talk to somebody about it, like I, I, I like once again, just being the fortunate person that I, that I am, I have a super um, supportive partner. Um, and then also everybody that's on the team at big kids, like we have an, a completely open forum and it's just, it's great to, 
it's great to be a part of something like that. It's very, it's very rewarding. So, and I, you know, I, I try as best as best as I can right now to make sure that I spend as much time as I can with my dogs and with Elaine and you know, just do things that make me happy. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't put effort towards things that I feel are necessary for the stereotype of what you have to do to be a business owner. If I want to do it, I fucking do it. And if there's repercussions for it, then I fucking pay for the repercussions, but I'm not being told anymore that I have to fit in some sort of mold that I don't fit into. And that really helps me. That's great. Uh, do you do you have any advice for people working in hospitality who are who are feeling you know the strain of working in hospitality like feeling that that burnout and like uh are there any like things that you do that like reignite that passion for you i would always remember that it goes back to what we were talking about earlier it's like you're a person before you're a cook don't, don't ever take that shit too seriously because the restaurants are going to come and go, but you're going to still be alive and you're going to have to find a way to make it so you're okay with what you're doing. So if, if it makes you happy to put your head down and just follow orders all the time and do that, then, then do that. But if you're not happy, then move on. Be happy before anything else. There's really nothing more important than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about spending time with your dogs. Um, we have our, our bonus question for you. Do you want to you talk about your dogs, George and Jerry? I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> they're both, uh, they're both com- complete uh, mutts. Uh, they're both rescues. And Jerry's a year and a month. And George is six months. And Jerry is actually, um, I had a dog, uh, for 11 years before I got Jerry, his name was Lewis and best friend, like best, best thing in my entire life. And I knew after I had Lewis that I could never live without dogs again, just because it's like, I mean, if you have dogs, you know, it's like, a, it's a companionship that that's not, you're not, you can't put it down on paper. Um, but I used, I didn't use Jerry, but I wanted to, I, I knew that I wanted to, um, ask Elaine to marry me and I didn't I I try not to do things in a traditional way as much as I possibly can and so I snuck and adopted Jerry and I asked Elaine to marry me with Jerry as opposed to a wedding ring so like how could you say no (laughs) hey how can you say no and b it's like it's kind of like something that I looked at it as Hey, this is, this is the beginning of our life together. We're going to raise this dog. Like this is going to be ours as opposed to like, here's this inanimate object that shines in the fucking sun. You know, like this dog, as long as we have it, will be a reminder that we are together for, for as long as we don't kill each other. <laughs> um, and then, after, and then it was also good to have Jerry with uh, Lewis in his like last couple months, but soon as we lost Lewis, I knew that I wanted, I had to get another dog and, and now we have George and he's really dumb. <laughs> Some dogs are the best dogs. Though. Oh, he's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Cause Jerry is like super, super neurotic. Like 
insanely neurotic. He's literally just got his paws up on the windowsill right now, and he's just crying at everything that walks past. And George is kind of standing behind him, like looking directly at a plant. <laughs> no focus. <laughs> or beautiful extreme focus. Yeah, who not make It's hard to tell now, but I, I think it's a it's a healthy juxtaposition in uh in characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh do you do you have any advice for young cooks that are just starting out anything that you wish that you knew before you before you hopped in yeah of course i think that like it's one of those things all right okay okay (laughs) it's one of those things like um you learn more as you go so like you want to know everything right away but you got to realize that it's a, it's a, it's about the journey and not, not necessarily about the destination. You know, it's like take everything with a grain of salt. There's a, there's a, I always quote, um, uh, master Poe from, uh, Kung Fu. I don't know if you guys ever watched Kung Fu, the series, but, um, he says to Kwai Chang Kane when Kwai Chang Kane was talking about like, cause Kwai Chang Kane was a, uh, not, 100% Chinese he had an uh, American parent as well and so he wasn't accepted into the Shaolin temple right away but like he refers back to that a lot and Master Post says when one dwells in the past they may rob themselves of the present but when one dwells in the present they may rob themselves of the future and yet the seeds of our future are nourished by the roots of our past so it's like it, it, it might suck for a while, but like you have that as fuel to know what to do moving forward. So if it's something that you really feel strongly about, you don't like something, I would act on that. I wouldn't continue to just like, you know, fall in the background and let people treat you a way that you shouldn't be treated. But also realize that in those instances, you're learning that people shouldn't be treated that way. And pay that forward by not treating people that way. So it's like, nothing's ever gonna be fucking awesome. It's as awesome as you make it. And if you're not happy, move on. If you aren't happy and you're willing to deal with it, then do that and use that as fuel to create a better environment for other people. Yeah, that's, I I think that's so important. Uh, You know, I've, I think we've all interacted with a, a good amount of people in, in this industry that are like, when I was coming up, I worked this many hours and chef would throw frying pans at my head and, you know, and use that as justification for their own behavior when it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like that sucked. I don't want to do that to anyone. You know, yeah. I don't like, I don't want to, I don't want to, that's not what I want to bring to the table. Like I, now I know what I don't want. Mm-hmm. To operate like and just like providing a providing a, pl- a platform to the people that you're working with to take that next step forward is like the most important thing i think like like the only way that our industry is going to progress forward is if we give people the tools and the steps to like do that exactly it's like we call it the the hospitality community but it's really a more of currently it's more of a hospitality hierarchy Mm-hmm. And in order to get it to somewhere that where people are treated equally and paid equally and just treated the way that everybody should be treated is we have to lead by example. 
It doesn't matter if something happened to you. It doesn't give you an excuse to do it to somebody else. Uh, what what does mental health yeah. and hospitality look like to you? Like, what do you what do you see as, it as now? And like, uh, what steps do you think that we, as this community, need to to take to make it a better a better place? I personally think that when we are hiring or training people to be leaders in the kitchen we should not just train them to do the job that they're supposed to do as far as the food is concerned. I think that there should be some sort of personality training as well. Um, you're not, you're not, you're not training a, a robot. You're not putting an algorithm into a computer to, to saute scallops. You're dealing with individual personalities. So like, but a lot of chefs aren't qualified to deal with different personalities. And that's why they build this kind of toxic relationship with their staff. You should, you should be humble and open to that other people aren't going to know exactly what you want. It's like, and that's something that you, you, not everybody has, and it's not their fault, but we should be giving them the tools to figure out how to do that. And if they can't, then they shouldn't be responsible for other people. I think that mental health goes beyond uh, the individual. I think that it can be, that it should be a hive mentality. Everybody should make sure that they're not taking things to heart too much. It's like, it's just a fucking job, man. We well, doing? and just having understanding of the, I mean, I think that, uh, at least I know Matt and I are on the same page. And I think that a lot of people are on, are on the same page of like moving away from the family in restaurants because it's not like a, it's not a genuine term. But I do mm -hmm. think that you at least have to have friendships within any mm -hmm. business because you spend so much time with these people. And you know, like anytime someone that just doesn't know what's going on is bitching about somebody else and you're like well you know this thing happened to them they're like fuck now I feel like a dick so just having mm -hmm. that understanding of like knowing the people that you work with and caring enough about them to not hold their bad days against them is so important because we're all just people trying to get through it and if you know what's going on with somebody you know it's way bigger than a fucked up order or you know running the the small things that feel like the end of the world in a restaurant right. of like running something to the wrong table yeah why yeah, should it, it why should a bad yeah. shift for someone outweigh them as a human being <laughs> you know like right. okay they fucked up a steak tonight and it's like well fuck them they fucked up our service we went down and then we were in the weeds and it's like that's your fucking friend that you spend 40 hours a week with <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like like that's a it's a it's a person and you're right said about like three hours of a service yeah yeah it, and those it, it, those words are damaging those feelings towards somebody are damaging yeah it's it's it's, it's really real <laughs> yeah it's really fucking real people don't yeah that exactly they there's too much things that happen in the moment in restaurants where in the grand scheme of things they don't fucking matter mm-hmm you, I've been, if you, if... uh, sorry. Um, I've been 
going to therapy for a very long time. And every time I talk to my therapist about something that happened in a restaurant that I'm like, "Ah, and then this and and then I'm like, this all sounds so minor (laughs) and silly. (laughs) And like, (laughs) in hindsight, you're just like, it was really just that moment of like, stress. (laughs) Right. Like I take, I take a lot more the more like how we started, like, I'm a super emotional person. So like when things don't go like great, I take like, I I take like an extreme hit on like myself and like, it really gets me down. Um, But I internalize it. And that's not my fault. It's just the way that I am. And I making myself okay with that has been a huge journey and it's rewarding to know that I don't have to, you know, I don't have to like beat myself up about it. I will, but I don't have to. So like, it just constantly reminding myself that it doesn't matter. Something fucking stupid happens or like the worst part about all of it is like reviews. Mm-hmm. These people don't realize what the, 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 the kind of damage they're doing when they leave like these really, really nasty reviews for restaurants. It's, it's brutal. Cause you're like putting all of your effort and all of your time and they don't know that you spend 70, 80 hours a week in this restaurant and that, you know, it wasn't your fault that one person did one thing wrong, but you're completely degraded for it. And like, that was huge, a huge downfall for me. Like in the fine dining, it's like, Oh my God, I, I, I must really fucking suck. If this person said this about me, they, they don't realize what they're doing. It's fucking, it sucks, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's like, okay, so you didn't like the flavor of this one thing or your wait was too long because another customer like stuck around for an extra 15 minutes or there was a miscommunication about something. And it's like, like sure, for, for the customer, like dining out is this like experience, this privilege that they that they get. And it's like, you, you see it as like this thing. You're like, I like going here because of this dish. And it's like, you know, like, restaurants are so much more than that and it's there's all these people inside of this restaurant that make up like so many different parts of what actually make it special and it's not just like this one dish or this one drink or that they carry Mm -hmm. the beer that you like or this it's like you've got this whole community of people that all bring different things to the table that all make like the vibe when you walk in and the feeling and the emotion in the air because these people have these things Mm -hmm. about them so you're upset because you're fucking you're it was too salty <laughs> like yeah okay like all right now you have this platform to go complain about it on yelp for hours so the people who already spend 70 hours a week are now going to spend an extra five hours there talking about yelp reviews mm-hmm. like it's right yeah and with no i like with no sense of the fact that restaurants have so much pressure and power to make you feel like you are the only person alongside of however many covers it would be like it, whether it's 40 or 210 like every single person in that restaurant feels like they are the only person there mm-hmm. and then to take that completely for granted and yeah, just spew negativity on these people who allow that experience is 
wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I, I stopped reading reviews. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Yelp is like like I'm not allowed on Yelp anymore because I stopped reading and then anytime I like try to see something they try to get me to download the app and I'm like no. Yeah. <laughs> I won't yeah. do it so I think they know that we just aren't Yeah, I, it's, it's better this way. <laughs> I have, I have no interest in looking at Yelp. Like I when I was when I was at when I was running Marta that was like part of our weekly management meetings was we're going to sit down and, you know, we're going to talk about like the day-to-day, we're going to talk about these things, like all very necessary things to talk about. Uh, and then it was like 30 minutes to an hour and a half talking about Yelp reviews. And even if it was like, all right, cool, we got, we got 10 five-star reviews and they liked all these things about it. And then we got this one four-star and then one person didn't like this. And it's like, cool. So why are we going to talk about this one for so long when we have like all these other positive reviews mm-hmm. and like why, why like this is a lot of negativity that we're just going to focus on to change our entire structure to benefit one person that yeah it's crazy that we tend to focus on the negativity as opposed to the positivity yeah i, I think mean, that it's I just feel- like the way that that's the way that the industry is yeah it doesn't matter if a thousand people like what it is if 10 people didn't like it you you only look at those people mm-hmm. yeah which isn't what we should well, do. Well, and we should, we should celebrate all the fucking nice shit. Right. We should. I do feel like there are a lot of people, though, that are like always just looking for that one bad review to like talk themselves out of going somewhere or to like paint their experience. Like yeah, people that worst. do look at reviews before going to places, they're like, but where's the one bad thing? <laughs> Yeah, my mom. My mom does that when she comes to Chicago. I'm like, "Hey, let's go eat at these restaurants." She's like, "I looked at Yelp on that one, and I'm I don't know. Let's go to Lumonati." Four I'm years like, ago, they had a one-star review. It's like cool. Like it's your vacation. We'll go wherever the hell you want. And like she's. And this was like this was years ago, and she is much more open to trusting me on things now instead of going to like the Chicago tourist trap restaurants, which are fine too. Like they serve their purpose and they, they fill a niche, which is like sometimes uh, a very delicious niche, but like, I, I don't want deep dish pizza every day of the year. Uh, but like now I'm like, I'm like, mom, let's go to Sun Juan and, and try that. She's like, all right, I'll trust you. And it's like, and she's like, oh, this is amazing. And it's like, yeah, this shit fucking rules. <laughs> Ryan, I have one question for you. Okay. Were you ever a nightmare chef to work for? I hope not. <laughs> and, and you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, and I actually, um, I had I was having a conversation with a friend, Nariba Shepherd, yesterday, and when Blackbird closed, I did a lot of soul searching because it's one thing to be like, you know, I I treat I I I I feel like I treated everybody super fair, and I feel like I. I gave people a lot of opportunities to better themselves and stuff like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I gave everybody the attention that they needed. And that doesn't mean that there was a point in service when like, you know, I I would read a bad review and then I would give like a really adamant pre-shift meeting to like the serving staff about like, you know, you can't do this or that like you know the server was on their phone the whole time and i would like blast off like you guys are on your phone like you don't realize that 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 all this is doing is hurting me 
And that was like a really selfish thing of me to do. And so I, and the only way that I knew how on social media was to apologize to anybody that I may have wronged and ask them to come forward and tell me what I did so that I can learn. Um, and I got a lot of people that responded to me that were like, you know, there was one time that you did this and I didn't think that it was great. And I was like, you know what? I remember that. And it wasn't great. And I apologize. I mean, an apology it means nothing unless you act on it and you do things differently moving forward. Mm -hmm. So that was really beneficial for me to kind of like have that time to digress and be like, okay, I didn't do everything right. I could have done things better. And it doesn't matter that I didn't do it right. It just matters that I don't do that anymore. But I don't think that I was ever like a tyrant. I don't but think I so definitely, <laughs> I definitely, I, 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 I know a lot of people that are like that. And I, I don't think I was ever like that. But if, for individual people, I'm sure that I, I was not great because how they may have responded to it, which is the, their right to feel a certain way about something that I said. Yeah. And I need to be open to that experience. And we all have emotions and it's like both sides, like maybe someone else was having a bad day and responded in ways that weren't necessarily like the intention of that one person. I mean, like, I know that I've, mm -hmm. I've been there and like, I'm trying, one of the things that I'm like working on in therapy is like not being reactionary to things and mm -hmm. like trying to get through the full, the full thing instead of just like grasping onto one thing and being like, well, I can't believe they said this one thing and I'm going to focus on this and I'm upset about it. And it's like, well, what was the rest of the statement? What else did they say or do to like, what is the whole thing? And like trying to have full understanding of people and understand that like, I'm not the only person in the room with mm -hmm. valid emotions and feelings. Yeah. I think there was, there was also like a lot of, a lot of things that came with running Blackbird, it was like, there's a lot of moving parts. And I don't, I, unintentionally, I definitely put blinders on because I, I you know, if I, I, if there was, if there's so much stuff going on and like the financial well being of the restaurant is in my hands, the emotional well being of the staff the cleanliness of the restaurant for when, for just to make sure that we are up to sanitation codes, every single meeting that we have about quarterly goals that we have to meet, keeping the labor in tow. Like there's a lot of things that come with running a restaurant that I don't know if everybody understands, but you know, I, I definitely wasn't able to see everything that happened. And if I was to go back and do it again, I would find a way to take those blinders off. And you know what? if we fucking were 0.5 high on food cost, or if we were two points high on labor, whatever, <laughs> who fucking cares? It, it, like it, I, I put too much of a focus on the managerial aspect of running a restaurant, as opposed to like the physical aspect of managing people. And in the, in the beginning, like I was able to kind of change that in my last three years there, but the first two years, there was just so, so much pressure, like taking over after David Posey, who's this like amazing chef but also trying to run it differently than he ran it. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of weight on my shoulders and I definitely 
turned a blind eye to things that I shouldn't have be a because maybe because I didn't see them or because I didn't feel like I had the emotional capabilities to deal with things like that. But those people were relying on me to, to be a leader and I, I let them down and it's like hindsight is 2020. Yeah. And I mean, you're acknowledging that and taking steps forward and that's, mm-hmm. that's what we do, right? We, we like learn and, and move forward. Yeah, that's all I can do. Uh, I have a couple questions left for you. Okay. Uh, what does the future of hospitality look like to you? I would. Lo- I, I think that all the things that we've talked about so far, I think that we can see that shift and change because there's more people thinking about it now than there ever was, especially with the pandemic and people losing their jobs. Like everybody's had a lot of time to think about stuff and think about what they actually want to do and what could make them happy. Like those of us that have been in the industry for a long time, we don't get those kind of breaks. So you kind of just do it. You're just like a cog in this insidious plot of the fucking restaurant industry and you make yourself okay with that. But after everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people were laid off. You have, you have time to think about what you think is right and what you think you should be doing. And a lot of people are making really good changes in the right direction. So I think that, I think that the, the future is bright for the hospitality industry. And I think there's enough allies for the good cause that can, you know, it's like the, the, the rebels will overcome the first order, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, What does, what does your personal future look like? What do you, what are your hopes and dreams for your future? Uh, my my future hopefully includes having a family and having you know uh, a place that i can call home and work and more dogs and continuing to uh pursue what makes me happy um i don't want to be a business tycoon or anything like that i i would like to just i'm not saying that like i i wouldn't be open to doing other business projects but Right now, I want to focus on what we're going to do if this pandemic takes a different turn and gets better, and also what we're going to do if it takes a turn and gets worse, and find out how I can either bring people back on the staff and give, give people more opportunities to make money, or and if I can't, put all that focus that I'll be putting on that to making changes in the community or just assisting the community. Um, and like a lot of this stuff comes from like people that I work with, like, like, uh, Jurassic, Nick Jurassic, he is like a huge, huge advocate for, uh, being, uh, a huge ally to the community. And like, I learned a lot of that from him, you know, a lot of these connections that we have with nonprofits and stuff like that, the majority of that comes from him. He's just like, he's got his finger on the pulse of what needs to happen for people to have better lives. And like, that's just the story of my life, you know, like, unfortunately, it seems like I get credit for that, but it's not me. It's, 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 it's a healthy collaboration between everybody that just has a like mind. And he, he's, he's an incredible dude. And he's just like, always thinking about what can be make up, like how we can do more. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, he he definitely has that uh, that finger on the pulse. Like he knows 
so many people and he knows like so much about what's going on and he's also like incredibly intelligent Mm -hmm. which is which is wild like working with him like he knows so many things Mm -hmm. about like so many different things Mm -hmm. yeah he's 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 been a, a great ally uh happy to work with that guy he's he's it's one of those things like i still have blinders on you know but like people like that and like other people that I meet and like the connections that I've made with people that he's introduced me to. And the same with like Stefan and Matthew. It's like, I, I like to surround myself with people that are better than me so I can better myself. And that's kind of what I've always done. Like a sponge. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, I... I think what you're doing, what you all are doing is amazing. And I really appreciate the, uh, you spending your time with us today and your community insight and everything you guys are doing over at Big Kids. Uh, and, you know, I just thank you so much for being with us today. No, thanks for having me. This is great. It's great to see you guys. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Ryan. <laughs> uh, well, Everyone, please remember to hustle responsibly, and that's going to be it for us today. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah.